Hey Prodigal, welcome to week two of our spookiest sermon series ever, Ghost Stories. Thank you so much for those of you that attended our backyard event last Sunday. As we strive to love God and love people, your voice helps make a difference. Our next baptism Sunday is November 5th. These are always incredible services. Check out this clip. Come on my soul, oh don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. four weeks away. So if you would like to be baptized or have any questions about baptism, our staff would love to talk to you about it. Our annual trunk or treat is just three weeks away. So head to the app or website if you'd like to donate candy or volunteer. You can also donate candy here and drop it off. But thank you for helping us share God's love with our neighborhood and our community. If you'd like to give, there are three ways to do so. The app, the website, or the giving kiosks in the lobby. Your generosity and donations are what help make everything that we do at Prodigal possible. That's all for announcements today. Thank you for joining us for week two of Ghost Stories. Welcome to week two of Ghost Stories. We're gonna get things started with a little bit of magic. I want you to think of a number between one and nine. And I know some of you are not gonna to wanna to do it right now. Do it, okay? Wherever you're listening from, wherever you're watching from, think of a number between one and nine. Now, once you've got that, multiply that by nine. Okay, so if you had eight and you times it by nine, 72, you're at 72 right now. Okay, now, Whatever your answer is, add those two digits together. So if, if you have 35, three plus five equals eight. Okay, you got that number? Now, subtract five. Okay, do you have your number? Okay, now, if A equals one, and B equals two, and C equals three, what letter is represented by the number that you now have? Okay, do you have that letter? Are you following along? You might need to go backwards and start all over again. Now, think of a country beginning with that letter. Do you have that country? Now, think of a mammal beginning with the last letter of that country. So you're thinking of a country, then a mammal, that's the first letter of the mammal's name, starts with the last letter of the country. Are you there? And then finally, think of a fruit beginning with the last letter of that animal. You got it? Okay, so you all started out with different numbers and now you're thinking of a country, an animal, and a fruit. Let me see if I can read any of your minds out there. Are there any people who are thinking of a kangaroo living in Denmark, eating oranges. 
Now, are you surprised? Are you a little bit amazed by this magic trick? Now, if it didn't work for you, it didn't work, that's okay. It doesn't really work as an illustration, move on. It's one of the things I've loved about magic though, is that that sense of surprise, that sense of, how did they do that? Magic tricks catch us off guard, and when they're done really well, they can leave us with a sense of wonder or amazement, maybe even awe. I don't think that I pulled that off, but maybe, maybe I did. Uh, in the end, we know it's just a trick. It's just smoke and mirrors. And if we knew the secret, we wouldn't be all that amazed. Today, we will look at a story in the Bible, in the book of Acts, where we meet a man called Simon the Magician. Uh, he is sometimes referred to as Simon Magus or Simon the Sorcerer. His story is found in the book of Acts, and we are told about his life um, just in a few short verses in the Bible. But there is a lot of extra biblical sources that tells stories about this strange character. We'll briefly look at those at the end as well. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. The Greek word here for sorcery is magio, to be a magician or to practice magical arts or to use sorcery. Most modern translations use the term sorcery because for us, magic is playful. It's sleight of hand. It's card tricks. Sorcery, well, that, there's a supernatural element to that. Magic is pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Sorcery is dark. Sorcery is occult. Simon, in our story, is more Jafar at the end of Aladdin than he is David Copperfield. Verse 10, And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. Simon was a big deal. People followed him. He was called the great power of God. You don't give someone that nickname for pulling a string out of your sleeve. No. Verse 11. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Verse 11 in the King James Version says, And to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorcery. The Greek word here for bewitched is, is the word exists to me. It means he amazed them. He astonished them. He astounded them. He bewitched them. Using the supernatural. Are you getting spooked yet? Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So the good news of Jesus shows up in Samaria, which in and of itself is amazing. Because remember, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. In the first group, the first people group outside the land of Israel, where the gospel is proclaimed, it's to their enemies. Okay, that is a different message for a different time. But Simon, the magician here, believes and is baptized. Uh, he saw something in Philip. He heard something from Philip. Something that he learned about Jesus. 
it struck a chord with Simon. Not only did he believe, but he was baptized. We see this a lot in the New Testament, that upon conversion, people are baptized. Not always, but often. And on the first Sunday of November, we'll be having a baptism service here at Prodigal. We'll have this tub of water on the stage and people will proclaim their love for Jesus through baptism. This dying to yourself and this rising to new life in Christ. If you have never been baptized, I want to encourage you to consider it. It is something that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years and your story will bless others. Uh, you can email us at the church or connect with any of our staff after one of our services for more information. Now, in our story, some weird stuff is about to go down. And what follows forces some scholars to really question whether Simon's belief and baptism really meant something or not. Okay, that's not our job. As Christians, we're not to judge the hearts of others. That is the job of Jesus, and he is so much more qualified than we are. What happens next? Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Peter and John are leaders of the church. And they wanted all the Jewish Christians to know that they affirm these Samaritan Christians. Not only do they approve of them, but God approves of them. And so they lay hands on them and God sends his Holy Spirit to publicly confirm the Samaritans are in. Once again, Samaritans were seen as less than. So their inclusion into the church needed to be a public matter. So Peter and John, the two most prominent church leaders, uh, lay their hands on them to receive the Spirit. Verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. It's interesting that there is a word that we use today that comes from this story. And this happened to us last week as well with the writing on the wall, uh, right? With the, and with the abbreviations of uh, pound. The word that comes from this story is simony, the buying or selling of spiritual things or church privileges. It comes from this very story. Simon wanted to pay Peter for the gift. This would not have been something uncommon in the ancient world, especially among magicians. If you wanted, you could pay another magician to learn their tricks. Simon wanted to know how to tap into the Holy Spirit, 
which he recognized as a power superior to his own. He thought that he could purchase the power. Simon's proposal sounds like offering to pay a magician to reveal how he sawed someone in half. That's not what Simon was doing. He was trying to buy that which was divine. There's an old folk song called All My Trials, and it cautions us. If religion were a thing that money could buy, the rich would live and the poor would die. God's power isn't for sale. We can't cut a deal with God. Simon was more concerned with what Jesus could do rather than who Jesus is. He didn't want to humble himself under the power of a great God. He wanted to be somebody who was called a great God. He was missing it. When my son Dex was a toddler, like maybe like a year and a half, something like that, he didn't understand the concept of pointing. So I would point at something and I would say, Dex, look, a bird. And then he would stare at my finger. Like, instead of looking at where the finger is pointing, I want him to see something beautiful. I want him to see it, but he's focused on my finger. And I'm like, no, 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 Dex, it's, it's what this is pointing at. It's not this. And all the more, he would just stare at the finger. Simon looks at the miracles performed by the followers of Jesus. And those miracles are meant to point to Jesus. Simon gets fixated on the hand instead of what the hand is pointing to. It's not about the gift. It's about the giver. We're not much different though. Sometimes we want what Jesus can give us we don't really want Jesus. Sometimes we want Jesus to be Lord over our circumstances, but we don't want him to be Lord over our life. Sometimes we're drawn to what Jesus can do for us rather than just being drawn to Jesus. The apostle Peter has words for the actions of Simon, verse 20. May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. This is a very forceful statement. And in the original Greek, it can be read, to hell with you and your money. The story of Simon the sorcerer in the Bible ends with Peter saying, pray to the Lord and repent of your wicked ways. And then Simon saying, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Peter says, repent and pray to the Lord. Simon replies, you pray to the Lord. Why does he ask them to do it? Why doesn't he pray himself? What a strange ending to our story. Now that is the end of Simon's story in the scriptures. But there are lots of extra biblical writings about Simon Magus. These are not in the Bible, but lots of tales are told and were told about this mysterious man during the first couple hundred years of Christianity. Tradition holds that after his encounter with Peter and John, Simon doesn't get closer to Jesus, he gets further away. He takes the path of fame and fortune and following instead of the road less traveled. There are two tales of the death 
of Simon the Sorcerer. In the first tale, Simon's following gets smaller and smaller with each clash with the Apostle Peter. In order to prove his higher nature and divine mission, to regain his authority and his popularity, Simon had a grave dug and permitted himself to be buried in it, after previously prophesying that after three days he would rise alive from the grave. But the promised resurrection did not take place. Simon died in the grave he himself dug. In the second tale, Simon and Peter clash before the emperor in Rome. Simon declares before all of Rome that his supernatural abilities and calling, and he proves it through his magic arts. Simon then flies in the air around the Roman Forum for all to see, proving his supernatural power. Peter and Paul fall to their knees and pray to God to show his power. Just then, the demons who are carrying Simon the sorcerer in the air, leave him, and he crashes to the ground. Simon Magus then dies a miserable death days later from his injuries. There are tons of medieval portraits and paintings of this epic showdown in the Forum in Rome. And in Santa Francesca Romana this very day is the stone of apostolic victory over Simon Magus. These are the supposed knee prints of Peter and Paul on that faithful day at the Roman Forum where their prayers felled Simon the Sorcerer. It all sounds a bit like a movie, right? A quick reading of this story in the book of Acts can lead us to assume that Peter is overreacting. He comes down pretty hard on Simon, who supposedly was a brand new believer. Okay, relax, Peter. Simon struggled with pride. Pride is a minor sin, right? It's what we think. It's just pride. It's no big deal. We should be proud. I think of the story of four Catholic women who are having lunch. And one of the ladies begins to brag about her son. She said, my son is a priest. And when he walks into a room, everyone calls him father. The second said, my son is a bishop. And when he walks into the room, everyone calls him your grace. The third lady said, that's nothing. My son is a cardinal. And when he walks into a room, everyone calls him your eminence. The fourth lady did not say a word. She just kept sipping her coffee. And the first lady said, well, what about your son? And she said, my son is six foot three, ruggedly handsome, broad shoulders, great manners, well-dressed, tight muscular body, and when he walks into a room, all the women say, oh my Lord. Okay, we're proud, we're proud of our kids. We should have that kind of pride. Now, that is not the kind of pride I'm speaking about today. And that is not the kind of pride that killed Simon the Sorcerer. We're not talking about a healthy sense of self-worth or proper self-esteem, or being proud of our children. We're talking about deadly pride. That kind of snobbish, patronizing, condescending, rude, impatient, demanding, unkind, cruel, insensitive, pompous, egocentric, haughty, vain, superior, arrogant. 
That's the kind of pride we're talking about. In Christian culture today, there is an unwritten list of sins that you can't commit and an unwritten list of sins that you can commit. Pride is at the top. And I just want to be as clear as possible on this. If we think that pride isn't that big of a deal, we're wrong. The Bible talks a lot about pride. Proverbs 29, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of a lowly spirit gains honor. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You don't want to be in opposition to God. No other sin prevents us from stopping and asking for directions more than pride. Eventually, your ego will become this self-imposed prison that'll keep you in and everybody else out, especially God. With pride, there's just so much you in your life that there's no room for anybody else. And that is a bad way to live. You do know what ego stands for, right? Edging God out. There was no room for God in Simon's life because it was too crowded with Simon. Simon wasn't concerned with the glory of God because he is way too distracted by his own glory. Look at verse nine. He boasted that he was someone great. If you are focused on your own greatness, you will never understand the greatness of God. Psalm chapter 10, verse four. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. There's just, there's just no room for God. We can't become so full of ourselves that there's no room for anybody else. You know how a narcissist change a light bulb? They just stand still and let the world revolve around them. Why is God so hard on pride? Because we make good creatures, but lousy gods. We are meant to be full of something, but when we are proud, there's no room for anything but yourself. Now you and I would probably never say it out loud, but it's easy for us to start living this kind of way with us at the center. It's easy to see in our relationships. Sarah and I have been married for 17 years. Every single one of our fights, I'm sorry, intense fellowships has stemmed from her pride and ego and her desire to be right. You know that's not true. But I do believe that every battle we have ever had pretty much centered around selfishness and pride, wanting our own way, wanting my own way. Pride cheats us out of love. Pride hinders our capacity to give and to receive what we all want, love. We start walking into rooms thinking, here I am, instead of, there you are. Pride has such a way of devaluing other people and elevating yourself. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It should have nothing to do with Jesus' people. Early Christians and Christians really throughout the medieval ages thought pride was the worst and the most prevalent of the seven deadly sins because it is either the source or chief component in all the other vices. Pride is the instigator of all sin. 
Pride convinces laziness that someone else should do it for me. Pride convinces lust that my pleasure comes before God's priorities. Pride convinces anger that if I don't get my way, someone will have to pay. Pride convinces gluttony that I better get my fill. Pride convinces greed that the more I have, the more I will be satisfied. And pride convinces envy that I deserve it more than you do. Pride renders us unteachable, unreachable, unchangeable. Pride is deadly. That's why God says so much about it. Pride keeps me from getting the help I need from others. I've got marriage problems. I'm too embarrassed to get help. That's pride. I've got money problems. I'm too self-sufficient to get help. That's pride. When I'm not cutting it as a parent, a boss, or employee, I'm too ashamed for other people to find out. Pride. This week, in preparation for today, I have been praying that we would have the resolve to take on, just head on, this thing called pride. Even to the point of talking smack to it. You remember smack talking? Hey, pride, you know what? You ain't got nothing. I'm sick of you cheating me out of my life, out of love and joy. You're not the boss of me. You are not the center of the universe, and you're not the ruler of my life. Hey, pride, watch this. I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to help that person. And I'm not going to expect a thank you or applause or anything out. Check this out. Nobody's ever going to know. Check this out, Pride. I'm going to hold hands with my wife. Yeah, in public. And check this out. I'm going to let her have the remote control tonight. Okay, Pride. I'm going to write that person who wronged me. I'm going to write him a letter and I'm going to forgive him. And as I forgive them, Pride, I'm dropping you like a ton of bricks. Watch this, Pride. I'm finally going to get some help. I'm going to finally admit that I've got a problem. I'm sick of you telling me you can handle it. You don't need any help. It's not a big deal. You know what? I can't handle it. I do need help, and it is a big deal. So I'm going to counseling. I'm going to work through my finances. And you know what? I'm going to get baptized this year. I'm going to declare that I follow Jesus. And I don't care what people think, and I don't care how it looks. I'm a new person in Christ, and I want the whole world to know. And guess what, pride? That's just the beginning. Because I'm no longer in control of my life. God is. I'm no longer the center of my universe. God is. So bye-bye, pride. Good riddance. Hasta la vista. Peace. Deuces. Bye, Felicia. I'm walking the way of humility. I'm following Jesus. God, I pray in Jesus' name that pride leaves. It leaves, it, it stops, it's hindering actions in our everyday lives. That we drop it. We follow you solely. God, forgive us the ways in which we want what you do for us and we don't really want you. And so God, we thank you that your power is greater than any magic or any sorcerer 
And the way of humility is better than the way of pride. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. We know that some of you live here in the Fresno Close area and you watch online and you are just as much a part of us as those who show up in person. And so we see you kind of, we, we love you very much so, and we're glad that you are with us wherever you are watching or participating. You are a part of Prodigal. Uh, next week, we continue our sermon series, Ghost Stories. We can't wait. We hope you have an amazing week. Grace and peace.